Okay, with the amount of knowledge that us Unicom medical students are forced to fit into our heads, we only superficially learn about faculty that work tirelessly to ensure each one of us becomes a competent and compassionate physician. Sometimes it feels like we only scratch the surface of getting to know our faculty. So an effort to get to know them on a deeper than epidermis level, we will go a layer down and learn about them dermis deep. So welcome to Dermis Deep podcast where we get to turn the interview tables around and ask Unicom's faculty some questions about themselves. I'm Sean Byrne, your host, third-year medical student, anatomy and OMM fellow here at UNE, and today I'm joined by Dr. Chris Frothingham. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Frothingham. How are you doing? Uh, it's, I'm doing well. It's a pleasure to get to be a part of this. <laughs> I'm happy that you get to be a part of it as well. Um, so since, like I said, we turn the interview tables around, the, the first question we always go for is, um, so why UNE? So why here, Dr. Frothingham? What, what, what made you come to UNE? Uh, well, I guess the, um, the answer to that probably starts with why I came to UNE as a student. Um, uh, it, that could probably be sort of a long-winded answer, but the long and the short of it is as I was applying to medical schools, uh, I, was, I was in that process as I was learning about osteopathy for the first time. Um, and so over the course of uh, applying once, one round mostly to MD programs and not getting in anywhere, um, and then refocusing to reapply, I had learned more about osteopathic medicine and decided that's really the direction I wanted to take. And as I looked more closely at the osteopathic schools, UNE emerged as my first choice. Um, I initially based on just how it looked, you know, in catalogs on paper um, and based on its location. Um, and uh, then when I came up and interviewed, uh, I certainly got a, a sense of the quality of UNE that I think makes it fairly unique um, and got a sense of the community uh, feeling there and saw that it was a beautiful location and so on. Um, so uh, that's what drew me to UNE initially as a student. And then having been a student there, um, I uh, elected to, to apply to and ultimately was accepted into uh, the residency program that was a brand new internship and a combined family medicine and OMM residency. Uh, and I, at that point, wanted to stay at UNE because I knew, I understood the culture. Uh, I knew the faculty was outstanding um, and, and knew that I would get good training uh, and particularly good osteopathic training. Um, and so uh, following that, I was uh, in the Northwest for a while uh, in private practice. Um, that's where I, I ultimately just ended up finding my first job. Um, and when we decided to move back East, um, uh, I had inquired with uh, Dr. Carrero, who at the time was the chair of the OMM department, because uh, I figured she knows everybody in the profession worldwide and would know if somebody was hiring and I was interested in going into private practice somewhere in, in Maine. Uh, and 
in that conversation, um, the uh, I said, oh, you know, I got this mailing that went out to all the alumni about faculty positions available. You've been on faculty for a long time, and I assume you love it. Tell me about it. And we talked for another hour and a half, and um, I hung up thinking, I think I know what I want my next job to be. And I'd never entertained the idea of being a full-time faculty member, but um, not only did that, uh, that particular uh, career path begin to appeal to me, but again, coming back to the fact that UNE has such a remarkable community and culture to it um, that I've always found to be very supportive um, and, and it, in a lot of ways personalized. I love the collegiality of UNE and I knew that's what I would be going back to. Um, and so that's been why I ended up back at UNE as faculty. But it feels to me like just a continuation of a long journey from showing up with long sun bleached hair and bare feet, much to Dean Kelly's chagrin, uh, uh, as a first year medical student uh, until now. Uh, and I've been on faculty now for 10 years and love being here. For some reason, it doesn't surprise me that you were barefoot considering uh, you, <laughs> you had the, the Vibram, like the five finger shoes and everything. That seems, uh, just seems like on course for me. Um, not yeah. a, little, yeah, a young Chris Frothingham when doing that. <laughs> Um, that's great. So that's really awesome that like from UNE you were able to continue on and everything. So does, does it mean like something extra special to you that you're still able to, to be here, um, that you can like see the changes over time? Um, is it, or is, so I guess my question is, um, what does it mean for you to like continuously be here? Is it, um, extra meaningful do you think? Well, I think so. I mean, I, uh, having, Having graduated from UNE, not only with my DO degree, but with my residency, um, I certainly have a great deal of pride in the school. Um, I also have uh, a, a very personal interest, even a selfish interest, in the continued success of the school um, and the program and all of its subsequent graduates, because the, the more we continue to succeed, the more all of us who came before also have succeeded. Um, but I think that to, to you know, and I, I, I really feel, I, I recognize that there are a lot of very good comms. Um, I also uh, feel that UNE is the, one of the best, if not the best. And uh, of course I'm biased, but, uh, it's, I just, I just think the program has so much going for it. Um, and so I think to be a part of that, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be part of that and I'm very interested in seeing it continue to grow to, to see how we can stay ahead of the curve, um, evolve as things evolve. I mean, this, our current situation is, uh, I mean, evolution isn't even the appropriate term. This is just, you know, acute adaptability, but, um, but as far as long-term evolution of our program, 
you know, I, I like the thought of trying to be a part of, of seeing those improvements happen and, and, um, and making them happen. Now that's, that's, that's kind of it, it really important to me too, seeing like how the changes, I mean, just only being like a fellow for six months and having to adapt during like this COVID timing and everything like that. Like you, you truly do just want to see everybody succeed. Like, um, and so being, I can't imagine being here for 10 years and also doing residency here at UNE that um, I, I wouldn't be just the same, <laughs> a little, just as biased or, you know, maybe not so biased because if we think that's the truth, but um, I, the, well, the reason why I came to UNE too is because as you were sedating before is that the sense of like camaraderie I kind of felt amongst students Whereas um, for some other interviews that I went to, it kind of seemed like everybody was like their own little islands kind of thing. They like were kind of friends, but not really, but like they were just like sticking their head down, getting through it. And then the people that I had known that had gone here and the people that I'd met on interview day, it seemed like a much more uh, like friendly environment. Um, but yeah, and I, and, I yeah. Hope, and I hope that's the case still. <laughs> Well, that's that's exactly what I was going to say because I I I think I can honestly say I would not have made it through school without the support of my classmates, um, and I imagine some might not have made it through without my support. But I think um, you know there were there were people in my class who had taught science classes that you know or had master's degrees and things, and some didn't even have to take particular courses, uh, you know, and this was, of course, a, a previous curriculum when all the different courses were individual, but, um, you know, the people, they, they could have coasted along and just used the time however they wanted, but it, for the most part, they would always uh, create resources for the rest of the class. They would offer to tutor, you know, it, they would, everybody put stuff out that, um, that they thought would help the whole class. Um, and you could always find somebody who was good at the thing you weren't good at and they would be willing to help. And you were always willing to help somebody when you were good at something that they were struggling with. And I, I do, as you say, I hope that is still the case. And it is my sense that that's the case. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things that I enjoy most about, being on faculty is getting to know the students and year after year, kudos to the admissions committee uh, and Dean Kelly's office, we get the most remarkable students here. And, and I don't just mean academically really bright people. Um, they're all that, but um, just really neat individuals, just fun, cool people. And as you have the chance to, to, sideline chat with people um, and you learn, you know, that, that they were a nationally ranked some kind of athlete or, a, you know, they had this amazing experience someplace or they ran a business or who knows what. It's just, yeah, I think we have a really amazing group of people here um, as, as students and also uh, as faculty and staff and administration, it's just people with with really neat backgrounds and things that they have to offer. 
our community. So that's that, that I, you know, I think that is still the case today. Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree. It's, that's why I kind of did this podcast because I think it's interesting to hear, you know, everybody's story and where they came from. Cause I think, you know, everybody's comes from very different backgrounds, but at the same time, we're all, we all are in medical school or going to medical school together um, at some point. So with that being said, if you didn't go to medical school, if you didn't choose the medicine path, um, where do you think you'd see yourself, Dr. Frothingham? Um, well, hmm. I would say it would probably have something to do with architecture, architectural restoration and salvage, maybe antiques, maybe all of the above. Um, I have a hard time going past old houses, um, and not wanting to stop. I've been known to actually pull in driveways and just knock on doors and <laughs> say, what an incredible house this is. What year is it? And, uh, a surprising number of times I get invited in to come and see the house. Um, and I meet some really cool people, uh, in the process, um, but I've always had a, a love of old, I guess, almost everything old. I love old sailboats. I love old houses, uh, old furniture. Um, uh, it, I could uh, imagine, or at least actually I daydream about the idea of setting up a, an antique home rescue program, um, you know, buying, buying that big old 18th century farm with a hundred some odd acres that's, you know, going to be demolished and try to save it, restore it, and then find similar situations where the little 18th century house wants, you know, somebody wants to tear it down, but they can't because it's a historical building. And so they want it removed and just bring them all, rescue them and bring them to this, this uh, property and set up a, a colonial village. Um, and uh, in the extreme of the dreams, it would actually be almost like a working museum. So I've always thought it would be interesting to, to be able to have people come and stay for a week and learn uh, something, learn blacksmithing, learn barrel right, learn um, how to go from sheep to sweater in the process of, of refining wool, um, learn how to cook on a hearth learn how to plow fields with a team of horses, none of which I know how to do. That's um, next you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would, I think it'd be fascinating to learn all that, but I think there's so much about today's life that is, um, what's a nice word for it? Basically ridiculous. <laughs> um, there's, there are so many things that have become necessities that shouldn't even be priorities in my opinion. And, you know, we've come to value things that are, I think just out of proportion. And I think that a lot of the way life used to be uh, has something to offer our, in the way of perspective and, and the pace of life and what we put our value in. And, and there's an element of self, uh, the ability to self-sustain 
in that time that we've lost. We can't really do anything for ourselves because we're relying on Target and Amazon to get simple things. And if something breaks, we throw it out instead of knowing how to fix it. Um, so, uh, you know, I could, that still floats around in my mind is, is, you know, is that something I could ever do as a side hustle and, and still not lose being able to teach students and treat patients? Yeah. Um, you know, I could, I could happily give up the uh, grading and <laughs> curricular design and the charting. <laughs> but you, you don't, you don't enjoy that? <laughs> well, I'll give up some of it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think that's that's really interesting. I never would have pegged you down as wanting to create like a uh, like an old home, like museum, like village kind of thing like that. But I, I, I definitely agree that we we're kind of in like the um, the like the fast food industry kind of era. Like you get what you want, you want it now, and you get it now kind of thing. Whereas, well, yeah. if you wanted tomatoes he should have planted tomatoes like three months ago <laughs> right or something something along those lines and I think there's an inheritness in like when you're struggling for something you appreciate it more so if you save up your money and you like as a kid you save up your money and you wanted this bike or you wanted you know to go to like this thing and you're able to do that you enjoy it that much more because you sacrificed for it versus if you were to just get it so easily it's it's kind of uh, uh it's you know, not doesn't it's not as meaningful anyways. And yeah. there are studies that are showing that like in, in societies that are, you know, more hand to mouth, like you're just bar barely scraping by, like the suicide rate's much lower. But people who are, you know, very affluent, like suicide rate is higher because um it's there's something about life is about a struggle. You gotta be struggling against something. You gotta struggle like like you're in a medical school or struggling to learn all this information. So there's, there's something about like that challenge that keeps you going versus if you're comfortable all the time, you're not getting outside your comfort zone and you, you feel kind of aimless. Anyways, yeah. that's my, you know, armchair. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> all right. Um, so given that, like, you know, everything that's going on and, there's a lot of this I remember that was happening with Zoom and at least you guys are able to be on campus from what I can um, gather a little bit as well too. What are some things you do to help like de-stress and like recharge your batteries when you're kind of at your wits end from either, you know, grading or answering emails or Zoom or uh, just kind of with work in general? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, there hasn't been a lot of time <laughs> available to, to do that. I mean, I, um, the, the whole, any routine has obviously been thrown out the window and, um, I think everybody is trying to establish a new routine. I mean, certainly all the students, particularly first years who are in a new environment, it, pandemic or no, you're having to establish a new routine. Um, I'm, you know, it's a little surprising 10 years into this, this job that I'm having to establish an entirely new routine. Um, so it has been a little challenging. I would say that, that, um, trying to find time to get out for a run or do a workout of some sort, um, in the morning is, um, is one thing. Um, when, uh, I would say if I've, if I've really just lost it, um, 
and can't focus anymore on the task at hand. Um, certainly one of the things I enjoy kind of going back to what I was saying earlier is uh, going, going to an antique store or a consignment store that may have some cool treasures in it, um, you know, poking around antiquing or going to an estate sale, something like that. Um, that's kind of a nice chance to unwind. Um, certainly, uh, getting to go do something with my family is, is also a nice thing. Although during the summers, they're usually gone, uh, down in Massachusetts for the summer. Um, so I'm floating around by myself. And now because of the pandemic, my three of my kids are staying down in Massachusetts with my wife and doing remote school, one's remote school and two are enrolled in the school on the little island. Um, I have one daughter back up here with me now. Um, uh, so she and I are now getting to hang out, which is really fun. So, mm -hmm. you know, she and I like sitting down watching a Marvel movie or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or something like that. So, um, so we've, we find, find things like that to do. Good. That's awesome. I also know that you're a, a chocolate connoisseur. So that can sometimes be, that might just be fuel to get you through the day, but it might not necessarily be something that helps, uh, you know, recharge your batteries. I think you just need it in general. Well, I, th I think you give me too much credit with the term connoisseur, I think a, a, a junkie would be yes, maybe a better. <laughs> I was yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't do well when my my blood chocolate level gets too low. That's got to stay up. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like you should also think about considering making like a, a Willy Wonka style factory just just for your own supply. <laughs> As well, like... <laughs> I, yeah, I suppose if uh, since the since the uh, colonies were able to import all sorts of things. I guess my little colonial village could import uh, cacao beans and we could uh, have we could have our own little chocolate plant. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good move. And at, at risk of like, you know, giving this away, um, you asked me a question once that was, you know, white chocolate, milk chocolate, or dark chocolate? <laughs> <laughs> And I know to you, there's only one right answer. <laughs> <laughs> yep, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> we'll just let everybody else think of which the right answer is. Um, so what's one piece of advice you can give to students right now, given anything that's going on or any, any kind of advice that's helped you out in the past? Uh, well, I think the, the thing that I would say the students have already heard from me because I tend to put it in almost every email, but something to the effect of take a minute to relax and enjoy yourself, do something fun, do something that's not academic. Um, and I don't know that I could really fairly say that was something that really helped me. Um, I think I would say it would have been something that would really have helped me. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, when I, when I stepped on campus, as, as I said, long bleach blonde hair and dark tan and barefoot, uh, shirt on only when in the building kind of deal. Um, you know, I just stepped off an Island and came up here and, and I arrived with my Island mentality. And, um, I remember getting to 
I don't know, just a couple of days, last couple of days before the first anatomy exam and everybody was freaking out. And I was outside playing Frisbee and just kind of taking it easy. And everybody thought I was nuts. And I said, well, I don't know if I haven't learned it now, I'm not going to cram it in in the last, you know, in the last minute. Um, so I might as well just be kind of relaxed and ready to roll. And I did the best on that anatomy exam, as I recall, out of all the anatomy exams. Uh, of course, not long after that, we got into the constant role of exam, 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 exam for the rest of the semester because all the different courses were individual and were sort of staggered. So we just had a constant flow of exams. And then I got caught up in that snowball yep. and, um, and joined the, the stress crew. Mm-hmm. Um, I did, you know, I still spent time my, my, the guys I hung out with most of all, who ironically I dubbed the allopathic club of UNE, um, they, we, we probably worked out two hours every day and usually all ate dinner together and we'd go to the market, get stuff, cook a, a fresh meal. We'd invite a guest to our dinner at some, you know, from time to time, somebody in our class and just have them join in and hang out. Um, so we did that. But I, I really think that, um, you know, whether it's that or um, biking, surfing, hiking, uh, taking time to read a book that you enjoy, um, you know, it doesn't, I, I keep espousing the idea of getting out in the fresh air because I know full well, as some students have yet to learn, that this is going to be fleeting. Um, but nonetheless, you know, it can be anything. It, it, it can be indoors, outdoors. It could be physical. It could be cognitive, but I think just it's so important to set good habits now um, because what I can say is it is really hard to form them once you're in a rut. Um, and so if you can, if you can learn to succeed at everything you have to do and be taking care of yourself, allowing time to be healthy and balanced and happy, um, it'll be easier to maintain that habit. And if you're doing that, I think it'll be much easier to succeed at everything you have to do because you will have that balance. So that's, that's something I'm striving for. Mm -hmm. I think it's something that we all kind of strive for regardless of where you are in your profession. Like you, you could always feel like you could feel like you could have more balance or that there would be more time that you could be elsewhere or doing other things. But that's why it's, it's a constant struggle and you're always got to be trying to, you know, hopefully get outside and do more because we know that this profession is kind of going to be a little bit more consuming than, than uh, the standard, like, you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five. But I think that doing this, setting these, um, habits early is very important. I've tried to do that, take time off. You know, I haven't missed any friends, like birthday parties that I've been invited to or anything like that. Even if there are like, it would take like a weekend to go visit them. I I made sure to like set up those boundaries. And I think that's really served me well. I don't have any regrets. I know a lot of people like, oh, I know in residency, it'll be a completely different story. But in medical, I know some people like medical school, you're going to miss birthdays, you're going to miss like, no, don't do that. Go do like, in my opinion, so long as you are, you know, 
doing fine and you're, you're, you're succeeding. I think it's important to continue to do those things that fill you up and to still live your life because like, it's like the Ferris Bueller thing. He, you know, you don't stop like life moves pretty fast. Sometimes you don't stop and look around once my little pass you by. So I think that's a uh, reference. It's, it's very true though. Um, yeah. Medical school, like when you get caught in that wheel and you get like that, um, especially first year, it felt like that you get caught in that, um, you know, secondhand anxiety from everybody else as well too. It's, it's pretty, um, it can, it can feel like it's, you're just on a hamster wheel and you know, there's no end in sight, but you know, me getting ready to start fourth year now, there is an end in sight and it does get better. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, it's, it's helpful also if, if we hold each other accountable because it's easy to start sliding down that slope and not notice it. Um, and it's sometimes helpful to have somebody step in and say, Hey, look, this weekend we're, we're going to go do this and you're going to take a break. And, um, the, you know, I think there, there are certainly, there are some students who have families, you know, significant others and or kids. Um, I would say the vast majority do not, uh, particularly children. Um, and I certainly have felt that um, it's, it's very easy for work to consume me uh, and at, to the expense of my family. And so sometimes I feel as though I end up um, sidelined in my kids' lives at a time when they're going through so much and I want to be a part of it and I miss it. And so again, if you, if students can form good habits now to be able to allow time for self when all you have to deal with is you, um, once you have those other people, that, that family, um, it's, I think, easier to keep, you mentioned setting up boundaries. I mean, I think that's very important to, to be able to do, to say, look, this is, this is my family time. <clears throat> I'm not going to let things step on it other than the most extreme circumstances. And this is my work time. And I'm not going to let things drift into that other than the most extreme circumstances. And um, I, you know, I think that's, that's just very important to be able to continue to be really good at everything you want to be good at um, as a physician, potentially as an educator, depending on what people want to go into, as a spouse, as a parent. Um, there are there are too many roles in life and we want to be good at all of them. So we definitely have to learn early on how to balance them. Yeah. I think that's really sound advice. Um, what's a book you think that everybody should read? Uh, that everybody should read or that you recommend people should read. Well, that everybody should read sounds like it, it ought to have some kind of good social message. <laughs> um, uh, What's a favorite book? Man? It doesn't have to be that everybody should read. What's a favorite book, a personal? Well, I would say there are a couple. Um, 
the the Outlander series by Diana Gabaldon, if that's how she pronounces her last name. Um, she's working on her ninth book, and they're big fatties. They're they're not little skimpy books, and they're meticulously researched um, and set. Lo and behold, in the colonial era, um, <laughs> starting in Scotland and England, and then in the colonies and other places. Um, those are fantastic books because she takes a fictional story and weaves it through accurate history um, and portrays the lifestyle really well. So just as far as enjoyment, I really like that. Another series that, um, <clears throat> that I found very inspiring um, and in fact was reading when I was doing my pre-med uh, courses post-baccalaureate and working as a nursing assistant um, is the uh, Earth Children series by Gene All starts with Clan of the Cave Bear, which was a movie with Daryl Hannah, I believe, in it back in the day. Not a great movie, but um, the books are amazing. And particularly for people interested in medicine, the main character uh, of this series basically becomes a healer. It's set in prehistoric Europe. Um, but also meticulously researched as far as prehistoric cultures. I think it's a blend of cultures. Um, but it goes into tremendous detail about medicinal use of plants. Um, and I, all of my volumes of this series have little pieces of paper um, in pages with notes and things in them about it. Um, but the other thing that I thought was really cool about it was that it it drifts through so many different cultures with varying beliefs. And there was a general acceptance uh, of the characters of one another. Um, and certainly conflict comes up, but it, it seemed to me to speak to a time of much greater tolerance uh, and acceptance, which today would certainly be a, an important message with everything going on. Absolutely. Okay. And the last question I have for you is, um, what's, what's a favorite meal <laughs> that you have? Uh, probably the one that's in front of me at any given moment. <laughs> uh, the very zen moment. <laughs> that, that's hard to say. Um, I, I, I personally really enjoy cooking, but rarely end up doing it. Um, and I'm fortunate because my wife is a phenomenal cook and she's, you know, I think I would say she's sort of a seat of the pants cook. She's good at making stuff up or finding a cool recipe and trying it out and tweaking it. Um, but she's very creative. She's very health conscious. Um, and so I, I have the incredible good fortune of being able to, um, Go about, go about my daily grind and then stop and eat an amazing meal that has been prepared um, most of the time. I mean, certainly sometimes I end up helping with the process too, but um, uh, we often joke that there are only two things she's ever made that were completely disgusting and inedible. And one was a soup when we were, uh, were we married yet? Uh, no, I don't think we were married yet. So we were still dating. She made a soup and I ate almost the entire bowl before I find And she said, oh, this is terrible. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. And I kept saying, no, no, it's good. It's good. 
And then finally I got to almost the end and said, oh, actually, yeah, this is, this is no good. <laughs> and I can't remember what the other thing is, but uh, only two things. Um, so she's, she's a phenomenal cook and both our mothers are phenomenal cooks. Um, and so whoever it is that's got their hands on the skillet or the pot or whatever is, uh, I know is going to turn out something great. So I basically always have good food to pick from and I couldn't possibly choose a favorite. That's awesome. I'm very envious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, as I say, I, I, as much as I enjoy cooking, I don't typically find I have time for it. And, uh, uh, so I, I am very grateful to mm -hmm. all the, the people in my life who do cook. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe that's your one thing that you can do to a week just to, <laughs> to stay a little bit more, uh, keep a little more balanced make like one meal a week or something. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, uh, I know Gonda had some time off and eating into like your running time and outside time. And like you were saying before, definitely need to be outside right around now. I'm up in Presque Isle and it's going to be 28 this weekend overnight. So it's, oh. <laughs> it's, it's coming. <laughs> so are you, uh, you must be coming up on the potato harvest. Yeah, yeah, they they were talking about it since it's gonna be so cold this week, and they're like getting ready to like maybe we should have pulled the kids like a week earlier so that way they can go and start pulling the potatoes. Yeah, they're worried about the frost. Yeah, I I did my a heck up there, um, and it was ironically the the month I drove straight up to Presque Isle from my honeymoon, um, <laughs> so it was away from my my wife for the first month of our marriage. Um, but I remember I would, I would get up super early and go over to, uh, UMaine Presque Isle to work out. I worked out some kind of deal there so I could go exercise in the morning and I'd turn on the radio and the first morning that I turned it on <clears throat> and, and heard the, and Fama Gaudreau's looking for three people to drive truck and 10 people to work in the fields and. Fama so-and-so is looking for four people to drive truck. And so I just thought, oh, my God, this is really, like, this is a cool cultural event here. It's pretty neat. I'd never heard such announcements on the radio. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty, it's it's absolutely, like, new to me. And it's pretty wild just because it's so part of their culture up here. Um, that yeah. Just what they do, they pull the kids out of school and they go pick potatoes. <laughs> pretty cool. It is. Well, I... I hope you have enough warm layers. <laughs> oh, I do. I do. Thank you. Sorry that this one ends kind of abruptly, but I had to make it into my rotation without being late, and we lost track of time. So thank you for listening this far, and uh, yeah, if you have any questions or any suggestions, email me at sbyrne3 at une.edu. Thank you. Bye.